All right. Uh, for those that are here, if you were to turn to Psalm 25 and just stand up and we'll read that. We're going to read through the whole psalm. So 22 verses. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me, for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for your word, and again, just how you teach and instruct, and you guide us in yourself. Lord, we, we just thank you for just the, the sweetness of fellowship in Christ, Lord, that uh, even when we are apart, that still we share uh, this, this great union together uh, in being identified with you, being sons and daughters of God. And Lord, we just ask now that as we go through your word that, that our hearts will be encouraged, Lord, that our faith would be strengthened and that the name of Christ would be lifted up. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, it's... Always uh, a great privilege and joy to get to, to preach and to share with you all. And as I was, again, thinking through just what to talk about, uh, you know, the Lord just brought this, this psalm to mind, and there's a lot here. And, uh, and so, um, <clears throat> one of the, the perks of being, I don't know if it's a perk, one of the, the realities of being at a gap year program and at a Bible school, is that we get lots of new people come in every single year. Uh, and so every September we have a new group of students, you know, 40 to 50. And, uh, and when you're meeting new people all the time, then you, you have to kind of figure out 
good ways to get to know people in a shorter period of time. And so one of the things that people always like to do is, you know, you sit in a circle and you play some kind of icebreaker game. And I hate icebreaker games. Uh, I don't know if anybody actually really enjoys them, but we still play them. Uh, and oftentimes people also, to get to know each other, will sit around and will start asking questions, you know, like to share some story or some interesting fact about yourself. And one of the questions that inevitably comes up at some point in the year is we as students in our home, somebody will ask, okay, everybody, let's share what was the most embarrassing moment in your life? I hate that question. Why would we ask that question? It's embarrassing. I don't want to talk about it. Um, but it's still something that comes up. And we, we try so hard to save ourselves from embarrassment. Uh, we, in our classroom, in our chapel, all of the doors are just sliding glass doors. And every year, without fail, either during camp or Bible school or a retreat, at some point, somebody is going to walk straight into one of our doors. It happens. I remember one time I was teaching chapel for our summer camp, and I was reaching the end of my lesson, the conclusion, the climax, this great spiritual truth that the Lord has laid on my heart. And a young boy stands up near the end, and he walks to the back of the chapel, and he walks right into the door. Thud. Uh, And as soon as he does, everybody in the chapel, all the campers and the counselors, they turn around and they look at him. And the look on his face from the embarrassment is just terror. He's so scared of what just happened because of the fact that he just walked into a glass door. Uh, and we, we don't like the feeling of embarrassment. We avoid it at all costs. And another word that we use for embarrassment is shame. Uh, we don't like the feeling of shame. And it's interesting that one of the first things that we see uh, recorded by humans as something they felt, Adam and Eve, was right after they ate the the fruit, they were ashamed. And shame is at the very root of the results of sin. As we expose, we are exposed to our own lack, our own depravity, and So we avoid shame. We spend our lives trying to cover up and hide ourselves from feeling ashamed, uh, from this sense of embarrassment, of thinking, wishing we were different than what we are. And so the ends that people will go to guard themselves from appearing shameful are boundless. People will go to great extremes. And when we get to Psalm 25... This, this idea of being ashamed comes up several times that David keeps bringing this up when he's writing this. And he begins uh, this psalm leaving no doubt about where his hope rests. As he's going to talk about being ashamed, uh, he begins with being clear on where he's turning. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And his his confidence, his hope is in the Lord. When he's wrestling with the potential of being ashamed, he's turning to the Lord. He's lifting his soul up to God. And this lifting up is it's ongoing. When he, that, that phrase there, I lift up my soul, that's not I lifted up my soul one time. It's not 
uh, once and done, but it's an ongoing lifting up. He continues to lift his gaze to God to be the one who delivers him in his, in his shame, in his trial, in his difficulty. And, but why is it that David feels the need to specify that it's the Lord to whom he's turning? And the reality is because there's lots of places that the David could turn to to hide or to recover from a sense of shame. You know, that it's, <clears throat> it's amazing how a, a young child can be in a room filled with uh, capable and competent adults. And yet when the child falls and hurts himself, he doesn't turn to just any of the capable and competent adults, but he turns to his parents. He runs to his mom, he runs to his dad, even though everybody else is there and ready and willing to help him, he's going to the one in whom he knows he can trust, the one that has proven himself over and over again. And that's the one that he turns to in his need. And so David here, he's, he's in a situation, he's facing some kind of trial, and we'll get to it. Uh, and in that situation, he has to make the decision where am I going to turn? Who am I going to turn to uh, in my need and in my desperation? And he says that he's going to turn to the Lord. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And that's, he recognizes that that's his, his only true place for certain help. That there's nowhere else that he can He can go, no one else. And it reminds me of Paul's words in in John chapter 6. You know, the story of feeding the 5,000 that Jesus teaches on the bread of life. Uh, I think I said Paul, I meant Peter. Peter's words in John 6, when the crowds leave Jesus after he shares some difficult things. And after they've all left, he turns to his disciples and he says, well, you guys leave too. And Peter utters those famous words, and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. And in our lives, recognizing this this reality that as we are looking for refuge somewhere in the face of hardships, that the truth of the matter is there's no other viable option besides God himself. That in our struggle, that God is the one, the only one, that makes sense to turn to. Like the child in the room with lots of other, other people around, but the child knows really there's only one option here. I'm looking for my parents. I'm looking for those that I can trust, that I know. And in our walks with, with the Lord, that as we find ourselves in difficulty, it's that, that telling question of, To who will I turn? To what will I turn? Where is going to be the place that I go for comfort, for refuge, for encouragement? And David here is clear that it's it's in the Lord. We're going to put our trust somewhere for provision, in someone for provision. uh, But it's not going to be until down the road that's going to either affirm that that was trust well-placed or if it was trust misplaced. And so 
he goes on in verses 2 and 3, he says, O God, in you I trust, do not let me be ashamed, do not let my enemies exalt over me. And it's this, this question of why does he then bring up this potential of being ashamed? And it's when we place our trust somewhere, if we find out later that that, that was the wrong place to put our hope, then it it shows that we made a poor decision and we feel ashamed that I trusted in my, my spouse to bring me happiness and that didn't work. So now I'm disappointed or maybe feel ashamed that I misplaced my hope of happiness in someone else other than the Lord. That when we place our trust for deliverance in someone or something and it doesn't turn out to be well placed, then we feel shame because it was the wrong decision. And David here says, don't let me be ashamed. He says, because God, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm coming to you in this because I know that I won't be ashamed. That's what he says in the next verse. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. This isn't a, I'm putting my trust in you, Lord, and I really hope this turns out okay. He says, no, I know that those who place their trust in you will not be ashamed. They're not going to look back on the situation 10 years down the road and say, well, I really wish I hadn't trusted the Lord with that. And, you know, as we, as we walk through life, and right now we walk through this, this COVID-19 situation, uh, and, and there's so many different reasons that the world gives why we should be really concerned and fearful and anxious. And the Lord says, if you put your trust in me in this, you're not going to look back 10 years down the road and say, well, I really wish I hadn't trusted the Lord in that, in that season of life. You know, as we walk through the, the challenges of, of having lost a job or having a, a difficulty in a relationship, the challenge of losing loved ones and putting our hope in Christ to be our refuge is well-placed. That it's not something that we'll look back later and say, that was a shameful decision. I shouldn't have done that. But instead, the promise is that all those who put their trust in the Lord will not be ashamed. That's a promise. It's a certainty. And so that's why we place our our hope in God because hope placed in God is well placed and this is what David keeps coming back to in this psalm uh, but there are those who find refuge in themselves the second half of verse 3 says those who deal treacherously without cause they will be ashamed that those who come out with a clever scheme in order to deliver themselves in order to overcome He says that in the end, they're going to be ashamed of what they've done, that they'll look back and they'll be disappointed in saying, I trusted myself to be able to deliver me. Uh, I trusted myself to be able to maintain my health. And I'm going to find out later that that was a misplaced hope. I can't maintain my own health. I can't guarantee that. I can't guarantee... Uh, my livelihood. I can't guarantee an income. I can't guarantee anything that hope placed in myself is going to lead to my shame because I'm going to be disappointed. He says, all those who deal treacherously without cause, 
will be ashamed. And that's the contrast here. And it seems so simple and straightforward. We're choosing either to place our hope in the rock of Christ or to place our hope in anything and anyone else. And it's going to be wanting if we're not placing our hope in the Lord. Their confidence, our confidence, can so easily be misplaced. I may have shared the story before. I don't remember one time growing up, uh, and it happened several times, much to the, the chagrin and frustration of my brothers. Uh, in, in my home, there's three boys, and, uh, and my mom, at different times, she would find herself cooking and need to open a jar of spaghetti sauce and would realize that she couldn't get it open. But thankfully, she has three young men in the house that are always very eager to show off how they can open a jar of spaghetti sauce. Uh, And so she she would say, hey, can somebody open this for me? It's my oldest brother, eager to to show and prove that he is the oldest and the strongest, would take up the jar, and he would try with all of his might to open it. Couldn't get it. And so then my next oldest brother, he's very eager to show that he's stronger than the oldest, So he takes that jar with much resolve and he twists with all of his might and he can't get it. And so he's frustrated. He missed out on this opportunity. So then my dad, he comes in and he takes up the jar and he goes and he twists it and he tries and he says, no, it's just on too tight. I can't get it. So he hands the jar to me and I take it up and I think, Imagine all of the glory I'm going to get if I open this. That I opened that which my brothers couldn't open, my dad couldn't open. And so I have great reason to exert everything in me to open this. And so I grab it, and I heave, and I huff, and it pops open, much to my shock, and everybody else's. And it's because, my brothers all know right away, that my dad loosened it for me. (laughs) And so now, from that point, I can decide, wow, look at how strong I am. And that would be confidence that's misplaced. Because really, it looks like I did something, but I didn't actually do anything that, that other people couldn't do. But rather, my father went before me, and he enabled me to be able to do that which my brothers couldn't do. And so my confidence then isn't in my own strength, but it's in the fact that my father was strong enough to do it for me. And as as we consider the, the reality that it's, where is it that I'm putting my confidence? You know, is my confidence well placed? If it is in my own abilities and strength, and it's going to lead to my shame. The next time that a jar of spaghetti sauce comes around, and I decide I'm going to show you guys once again how strong I am, if that is my my attitude, then I'm going to be ashamed. Because if my dad isn't there, then I'm not going to be able to open it. And when we, when we come to the Lord and when we are choosing, where are we going to place our confidence? Then it's a decision of, am I going to look at 
at the past and see the faithfulness of God previously and reckon God is going to continue to be faithful as he has always been in the past? Or is it going to be, well, I think I may have gotten myself through something previously and I'm sure I can do it again. And it's going to lead to our disappointment, to our shame. Finding our refuge in the Lord and waiting on Him is not going to lead to our being ashamed. We will always be satisfied in the results. Going back again to verse 3, Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. And so, trusting in Him doesn't lead to shame. Jesus, we saw, going to the cross, faced shame. But it says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus despised the shame. Instead, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross and all the shame that was involved in that. But as Jesus walked in humble obedience to the Father, does he continue to be in a place of shame? Did his trust in the Lord and the Father and his obedience to the Father result in his ultimate shame? No, from that point of shame, it says he goes to the cross for the joy set before him and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That the shame that Jesus walked through does not end in shame, but it ends in glory. And as we trust the Lord and walk in His ways, and that is the the assurance that we have, that it doesn't lead ultimately to shame, but rather to glory. And so Jesus, going before us, shows us uh, what what our hope placed in God results in. And it's not shame. And so David goes on here, and as he's established really clearly in the first three verses where his hope and confidence are in the Lord, he, he transitions to requesting that God lead him and instruct him and teach him. And we see in in verses 4 and 5, he says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And then verse 8, he says something similar. He says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. Verse 12, going on thinking about how he brings out this teaching and leading. He says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? He, God, will instruct him in the way he should choose. Verse 14, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. And so we see scattered throughout this psalm that that David is, is praying and he's acknowledging, both requesting that God would teach and lead and instruct him, and he acknowledges that God is the one who teaches and leads and guides and instructs. And so as he has placed his confidence in the Lord, that he would not be ashamed as he's placing his confidence in the Lord. Then he goes on and says, Okay, God, my confidence is in you, but now lead me and instruct me in the way that I should go. Teach me that as I'm facing this situation and this circumstance, what does it look like as I'm trusting you to walk through this? And, And as he repeats these requests over and over again, 
throughout this psalm, we ask, well, what kind of things does God teach? You know, he's asking the Lord to teach him and to instruct him. But God doesn't give any instructions on how to, how to, to build a, a house. He doesn't give instructions on how to make a car work. He doesn't give instructions on, uh, on how to be a good doctor. He doesn't give medical instructions. What kinds of things did God choose in his wisdom to teach us about? He could have given us lots of different books on lots of different topics. And he, they would have been great, absolutely true books filled with useful, helpful information on how to be an expert in any given area. But God doesn't give any of those kinds of instructions. Instead, he gives us his words specifically geared towards what? He says in verse 4, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. He says, teach me about yourself. Lead me in your ways. Teach me your paths, the paths that you walk, God. Those are the paths that I want to walk. That the way that God is communicated to us of all the things that he could teach us. And I think he does teach just through his common grace. He, he gives us the grace to be able to learn about the body and learn about medicine and learn about science and to learn about the earth. You know, all these are wonderful things that God in his grace allows us to learn about. It gives us the ability to learn about. But what he has given in special revelation, what he has revealed in his word, is not directed towards those different areas of life. But it's directed towards himself. And so as David is seeking refuge in the Lord and wanting to not be put to shame, he knows he needs the Lord to teach him. And the teaching that the Lord gives and that David needs is a teaching about who God is. Not about how to overcome his enemies, but how to believe rightly and think rightly about the Lord. And that leads to the encouragement of his heart. And so that is, <clears throat> that is the most important thing for us to be seeking to know, is God himself. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He says, don't seek first in expertise in a certain field, but seek first in the midst of, of the life that you're living, seek first Christ. Surely David has lots of practical needs in his situation that he's facing, and yet his request isn't just, what should I do and what should I not do, but instead he says, Teach me about yourself. Help me to know you in your ways. And why is that David's request? Of all the things that he could have asked, why is it that he asked for those? Verse 5, he says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for, there's a reason, because you are the God of my salvation. Because David knows who opened the jar. And it wasn't himself. David knows that it is God who is his refuge and his strength and his deliverance. That learning more about tactics for overcoming his enemies isn't going to ultimately 
be his place of life. But God will be. And so David's request is for the Lord to know him. And yet, why would God meet this request? Because David's going to bring up multiple times about his sin. David knows that he doesn't deserve to know the Lord. He doesn't deserve for the Lord to teach him and guide him and shepherd him. He knows about his own sin. He says in verse 7, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. <coughs> he, he mentions numerous times about his sin. He knows he doesn't deserve it. And yet he requests that God would lead and teach him. Verse 7, he says, after saying, don't remember my sins. Instead, in contrast, he says, according to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Why would God heed David's request to teach and lead and guide him? And David's appeal is, according to your loving kindness and for your goodness sake. Because as God graciously shepherds his flock in the midst of their, their sinfulness, as God shepherds his people, it reflects on his goodness. It speaks well of who he is. And so David's request, lead me for your goodness sake. Because of who you are. David asked God to deal with him according to who God is, not according to who David is. That the basis of God's dealings with David is God himself, not David. And yet, God still instructs and leads uh, specifically certain people. And David in verses 8 through, uh, 8 through 15, he's going to bring up two traits that are, are critical and are important in being taught and led by the Lord. And those two would be being humble and fearing the Lord. He's going to mention these things in verses 8 through, uh, 8 through 11. He talks about the importance of humility in verses 12 to 15, the importance of fearing the Lord. Have you ever tried to lead somebody who is not humble, who is arrogant and proud, self-righteous? Uh, my family and I, when, in our younger years, we showed cows uh, at the different county fairs. And my oldest, uh, I don't know, my oldest brother, one of my two brothers, one time he's has his his young young cow walking him through the arena and there's judges there and uh, they're all you know assessing how the cow's walking and all these different characteristics of the cow and then there's an audience there watching and showing cows is not a very exciting event uh, basically you just walk this animal around in a circle and and yet this one time was quite exciting because as he's walking along suddenly the cow decides you know what i'm done and so he just stops, she stops walking. Won't move anywhere. So my brother, he grabs that rope and he's tugging on her and tugging and she refuses to move. She's not going anywhere. And she, she decides, you know what? I don't need to be led anymore. I don't need you to tell me where to go. 
And it's really hard to lead somebody who isn't willing to be led, who doesn't think they need to be led. It's really hard to lead somebody who isn't humble. And if, as, as David goes through in verses 8 through 11, he says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. Who is it that the Lord teaches? He says he teaches the humble. He starts off in verse 8 identifying that he instructs sinners, but sinners, as they acknowledge their sin, it leads them to humility. They recognize, again, their need. And if I refuse to humble myself under the mighty hand of God, then I won't see any value in being led by the Lord. That God desires for us to be humble, and as we are humbled before Him, then we are teachable. Then we are ready to learn, to grow, to be guided by Him. So God longs to lead and and to guide us, but before that can take place, we have to, unlike that cow, be willing to be led. It starts with humility. Teaching students who don't believe they need to be taught, you know, it can feel like you're banging your head up against the wall. I remember when I was teaching in the public school, uh, and my Bible class was an elective. It was optional. It was considered to be an easy class for them to take. That's why they would sign up, oh, Bible, that'll be easy. Uh, and, and so most of the kids that were in there did not see any need or value in being there. And it could be exasperating trying to teach people uh, and instruct people in something so precious as the Word of God, and yet them feeling like this is completely useless, unhelpful, not important. And so the, the need for humility in being taught is critical. And so then we... We transition to the the next section, how he talks about the importance of fearing the Lord. Verses 12 to 15. And if you flip over to Isaiah 66, a, a familiar passage, God brings up both of these things here as well, as he considers those whom he will lead and shepherd and teach. In 66 verse 2, He says, my hand made all these things, and thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. The one who trembles at the word of God, who fears the Lord. God says, that's the one to whom I will look. He's who's humble and contrite and fears the Lord. I saw a, a meme recently um, that said something to the effect of, you know, it was about parenting, and the person said, I hope that my kids are never hesitant to come to me out of fear of my response. The idea that, you know, I, I hope my, my kids never think that and are... Give our pause to come 
and share something with me because they're scared of how I will react. And, and as nice as that sounds, I disagree. Uh, because I think that there is this healthy fear that can be had and should be had, especially with kids towards their father, uh, that there is a healthy fear that should take place, that should be present. And, you know, I think that I, I understand that the wanting that kids are always willing and eager and feeling like they have the freedom to share with their parents about anything, and I want my kids to have that, but still recognizing that there's going to be times when they know that they've done something wrong and they're fearful of the consequences, and yet, despite that fear, they still come to me, not because they aren't afraid, but because they trust me that even in their fear, I'm going to make a decision for them out of love. That their fear of me is over, overcome or ruled by, governed by their trust, their belief that I love them. And so even in consequences and discipline, those will be determined out of a love for them. And so their, their fear, our fear of the Lord, our trembling before the Lord is good. It's right. It's healthy. God does not want us to simply view him as a good friend that we can talk to about anything, but a good father who's always going to lead us in life, in goodness, in truth. That that's his, that's his prerogative. That's his desire. The teacher of a classroom isn't seen as a good teacher because he keeps teaching even when no one is paying attention. But first, the good teacher gets the attention of the classroom by establishing his position and the importance of what's being taught. And once he has a student's attention, then he can teach. Then he's seen as a good teacher. But first, there needs to be in the students an acknowledgement of who the teacher is and a need for themselves to be taught. A humility, a need, I need something, and a fear or a recognition of position, this person is worthy of my attention in order to meet my need and because of their desire and their love for me. And so the, the importance of being humble before the Lord and fearing the Lord, those are, those are prerequisites in being taught by the Lord. The Lord says, I want to guide and shepherd and lead my people but we have to be willing to be led. And we have to have a right view of who God is and who we are. <clears throat> In verse 15, David writes and he says, My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. That as David fears the Lord and is humble before the Lord, his eyes are fixed on the only way I can be delivered and overcome is through the Lord himself. That I can't deliver myself out of the net. Uh, only God can deliver me. Only God can, can bring me out. And so David in his humility and his fear of the Lord, in this last section, verses 16 and 22, 
makes his requests known. He, he bears his soul to God. He's established, verses 1 to 3, my confidence is in the Lord. He, there's nowhere else that I can turn. Only in God will I know that I won't be ashamed. And then from verses 5 through 15, he's established, and so I need the Lord to be teaching me, instructing me, shepherding me as I humbly and fearfully and reverently come to him because he is the good teacher, he is the good shepherd. So my confidence is in him. I need to be taught by him. And so now verses 16 and 22, so this is what my needs are. This is where my troubles are. Verse 16, he says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. David is able to bear his soul to God because he knows and he trusts the Lord. He knows who God is and he knows who he is in his sinfulness, in his humility. And so he shares that he's lonely and he's afflicted. Verse 17, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble. And forgive all my sins. So he acknowledges, verse 18, that internal struggle. God, look at my affliction, my trouble, my sins. Forgive me. Verse 19, and look upon my enemies, my external circumstances, the things going on around me, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. So look within, look without. Verse 20, Lord, guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. And so as he considers the inward, internal, and external challenges he's facing, he says, so where can I turn? Lord, guard my soul. There's nowhere else that I can go. Only to the Lord. Thinking back on verse 3, that promise that none who take refuge in the Lord will be ashamed. And that's what David is ending with here. Again, God, my refuge, my eyes are directed towards you. And so just a few uh, just closing thoughts. Again, trusting Christ with both our internal and our external challenges, they will not result in our shame. Trusting in Jesus, we will never look back at our times where we trust the Lord and say, that was a poor choice. We will always look back and say, God, thank you. I can see your hand, your faithfulness, and your goodness. And we see that in Christ, that Jesus's path that he walked in humble obedience to the Father did not lead to his ultimate shame. Along the path, there were moments of shame. And and as believers, we'll face that too. There are going to be times where we make decisions that to the world and to others seem like they're foolish. They're ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. And yet, if we are walking by faith and obedience to Christ, we will be able to look back on those times that seem to bring us temporary shame in the eyes of others, and we'll look back and say, but now I know that that was still the right decision because the Lord sustained it, and it's resulted in in the glory of God. God wants 
to lead his people to himself. The things that David requests for the Lord to teach him and instruct him in is not in different areas of expertise, but specifically, Lord, teach me yourself. In verse 14, he said, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. What is the secret of the Lord? He says in the next verse, elaborates on that, he says, He will make them know his covenant. The secret of the Lord, this covenant, what was the purpose of the covenant? It was all about relationship. It was all about God being with his people. The old covenant, the new covenant, was for God to be able to be with his people. The mystery of godliness, Christ in us. This mystery, this secret that the Lord has, he says he will make it known to those who fear him. And God wants, he desires to be in relationship. He desires to lead us to himself. And also remembering that humility and the fear of the Lord are, are critical in being taught by the Lord. That we would have humble and reverent hearts before God as we're seeking Him and His leading. And that our hope in the Lord is a well-placed hope. We will not be disappointed. All right, let me close in prayer. Father, we... We thank you. Um, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, it, there's always uh, just so many um, things and, and people that are encouraging us to place our trust in anything and anyone other than you. Lord, that is a scheme of the devil. Lord, that we would look around us and we would say, has God really said that we would doubt your promises, that we would doubt you uh, and your intentions. And I just pray that, that again, our hearts would be encouraged and reminded uh, in, in this certainty that our hope in you is well-placed, or that we will not be disappointed. And so as we continue to, to walk day by day uh, in this season and, and just what you have for us, May we have confidence and assurance uh, that, that you are good, Lord, that you desire to lead us, you want to lead us. And I just pray we will be led in humility and, and reverence, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.